0: said amen amen welcome to Southridge Church we're so excited to have each and every one of you would you take your bible to continue our series in the book of Ruth and as is our custom as we kind of begin a service I believe that you've spent a lot of time and effort to get ready and to come to church and because of that fact we want to make sure your experience is the best that we can possibly make it And so that being said, would you do me a very great favor? Would you take that mobile device that you carry that is always screaming for your attention, that's always saying, hey, look at me, notice me, and would you put it on airplane mode so that the next 35, 40 minutes, it's just you and the Lord that you're saying, God, I'm just open to receive from you. I don't need any push notifications. I don't need any text messages going on. I don't need anything. I just wanna hear directly from you because I've noticed that when you put your phone on airplane mode, God just speaks because there's no distraction. There's no gaming. There's nothing that's going on. It's just you and the Lord. And so we do that as a church just to kind of help And also, some of you, your phone just happens to go off and you like to have a conversation. It doesn't matter where you are. You're just kind of like, hey, it's just church. It's just some guy up there talking. Yeah, I can talk right now. And then the rest of us just kind of look at you like, really? Wow. All right. That's great. So we're excited that you're here. We're in a series entitled Relationship Status. We're in part three of our series. And so we are studying this awesome character in Ruth. And uh, let me give you just a little background to the story of Ruth. It starts out, there's a famine. Because of a famine, there's a farewell. Because of there's a farewell, there was also a funeral. After the funeral, there was a fallout. And that's kind of what brings us to Ruth, okay? So that's kind of how the book of Ruth plays out. And you see that there was a guy by the name of Elimelech. He leaves Bethlehem. He takes his two sons, Malon and Kilion, good Klingon names. And so he he takes those and uh, they, they head out and they decide to go to Moab and Moab is this distant country. They worship false gods. And so for a, a Israelite to go to Moab This is one of those things you just don't do. It's not just that it was uncouth. It's also that it would go against their religious upbringing, okay? And so they go there. And then the next thing that they did is that they married Moabite women, which was the ultimate. You just don't do it, just don't. And we talked about where the Moabites came from, that they are the product of uh, uh, hundreds of years prior that they were the product of incest. And so that's why God had told his people, hey, don't have anything to do with those people. Well, they intermarry, and then something tragic happens. Uh, Elimelech dies, and then his two sons also die. So there's three women left. There's no children. It's just three women. And so one of the women, uh, her name is Naomi. She decides, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I have nothing here. There's nothing me keeping me here. Naomi says in chapter one that God's hand has gone out against me, that God is against me. He's no longer for me. And so Naomi has kind of given up on God. And I think if all Christians were honest, there have been seasons in our life where we just feel like I'm ready to just kind of give up on the Lord. I'm ready to walk away from the church. I'm ready to walk away from it all. Naomi's at that point. And so she tells her two daughter in laws, she says, hey, Ladies, there's no chance for me to have more sons. So go back. And this is what Naomi says. She says, go back to your homes, go back to your families, go find husbands and go back to your small G-O-D gods. Go back to your false religion here's a person that knows the one true God, but she's so jaded by life and she's so hurt and discouraged that now she's telling people, hey, just just go and do something else. That'd be a Christ follower saying, hey, you know what? Christianity's not real. Jesus really didn't die on a cross. Just go be a a, a Buddhist. Go uh, follow Islam. Go do something else because this isn't the truth. And that's how jaded she is. But yet there's one woman, her name is Ruth. And Ruth in chapter one says something amazing. She says, hey, whether you go, I go. Where you die, I will die. And she decides to follow Naomi. And God blesses Ruth for it. You say, what does Ruth get? Does she kind of get a new house? And does she get a great new family? Not right away. Matter of fact, we read chapters one and two, and we kind of think that these two women, when they come back to Bethlehem, that there's a home waiting for them, that there's some comforts. Not so. The reality is that Naomi and Ruth are so poor. And in this culture, it wasn't like, hey, you just had a house that was built that was just waiting for you. Some of you may have a house on the lake, a house in the mountains. You may have a house in the Caribbean. And if you do, invite me over sometime. I'd love to come, (laughs) all right? And so you may have this house. They didn't, it wasn't like, oh, well, we're in Moab. We got this house that's still in Bethlehem. No, that's that's gone. So now when they move back, they're basically homeless. What does that mean? They lived in a tent in a field somewhere. That's what it meant. They didn't have anything. And so this is what Ruth comes back to. And even in spite of having nothing, you would think that Naomi would be so encouraged that at least she had some friend there. No, chapters one and two, you don't see Naomi one time comforting Ruth. Ruth has invested her life. She's invested 10 years in the relationship. She married one of her sons. There's no comfort coming from Naomi. The first comfort that Ruth gets from anyone is a man by the name of Boaz. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about Boaz and we talked about his cousins. One of the people here said, I think I dated all of Boaz's cousins. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's just terrible. So you got to catch week two to find out who Boaz's cousins were. All right. Pastor West said he got too many emails, so I won't tell you all the, who the cousins were, but you can look it up online and find out who Boaz's cousins are. And so we come to chapter number three. And chapter number three, when I read the chapter, I was just kind of shell-shocked because there's two opinions here of what actually goes down in chapter number three. And this passage is a little bit um, risque. It's a little bit um, PG-13, probably R. And so we're going to dive into it. So once again, if you have children here, and children here, they're welcome. We're glad to have them. Um, just, you know me, I don't pull my punches when I talk about certain things. So just so you know, we're all happy. We're all friends. We're all going to blush together. It's going to be great. Welcome to Southridge. All right. So we're excited <laughs> to have you. So buckle up, get ready. Here we go. We're going to dive in. Okay. And we're going to start with this chapter number three. But as we dive in, I want you to understand something and kind of have as a frame of reference. Here's Naomi. She even tells her friends, hey, change my name to Mara. And then I just realized we have somebody coming to our church that I met two weeks ago and her name is Mara. And I was like, how cool is that? So don't take it personally if your name's Mara, but in scripture, Mara just means bitter, that you're a bitter person. But the person that comes here, she's totally not bitter at all. (laughs) Nicest person. She's really great. We're excited to have her. But uh, Mara in this scripture means just a bitter person. And in the Bible, if you were named after something, it's kind of because your personality fit the name. All right. Uh, The Bible talks about um, that that Esau was a hairy man. He was hairy like a garment, you know? And so uh, that just, that kind of really who he was. So they kind of named him after that, all right? So here, Naomi changed her name to Mara, bitter. She's angry. And so we come to chapter number three and Naomi still, her focus is still that God's just against her. But I want us to kind of have this thought. If you will change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. If you will change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. It starts with us. It starts with us saying, hey, could this be a negative situation? Could this be God dealing with something, doing something in my heart and changing the way I view it? And then we will see that those things start to change around me. But it starts with our view. But too often, we don't. We don't. We don't allow them to change. Instead, we do something in a relationship, in marriages, relationship, dating. And it starts with this one word, and it sounds innocent. And I might step on your toes because you may think that's a great word for a relationship like that's how the relationship is going to go forward and it's this word compromise and many times you'll you'll talk to somebody and they'll say you know for a relationship to work you just need a compromise you just both just just kind of compromise a little bit yeah I heard about a husband he did that he came downstairs one day and he was all dressed wearing a black suit and his wife said you look great then she looked at his feet he said wait a minute Black suit, brown shoes, they don't mix. Go upstairs, please, and uh, put on some black shoes with your black suit. He said, no, I look great. I'm fine. And she said, no, no, no. And then they both said, wait a minute, we need a compromise. So he goes upstairs. He comes back down, black suit, a black shoe, and a brown shoe. He (laughs) compromised. You see how compromise works? Scripture doesn't talk about compromise. It talks about submission. That's the word. But in a relationship, we kind of think it's 50-50 but it's not, it's not a 50-50. It's not a compromise because then both of you are irritated. So she wants to go to Taco Bell and you want to go to Wendy's. So both of you don't get to eat where you want to go. You end up at McDonald's and then you're both unhappy. (laughs) Compromise doesn't work, but yet we think it's this great thing in a relationship, but it never works. That's why scripture teaches submission. That it's for one person to say, all right, you want Taco Bell. I want Wendy's. Well, guess what? We're going to go where you want that's submission. Submission is a total surrender. It's not a halfway. And yet we come into a relationship thinking it's all about compromise. But the thing with compromise, compromise leads to a conflict of interest. It always does. There's always, once you compromise in a the relationship, there's going to be this conflict of interest. I remember in 2002, I got a job. Matter of fact, I got two jobs on the same day. One was for a company called J.C. JCPenney's. How many have heard of JCPenney's? Yep. I got a job at JCPenney's. The same day I got a job at a place called Got, got How many heard of Got shocks? Wow, I didn't know so many have heard of Gottschalk. They're gone now, can't find them. They closed in 2009. So terrible. They were based in Fresno. Certain good things do come out of Fresno. My wife and I had this debate. She thinks nothing that comes out good out of Fresno. I said, I came from Fresno, so it's okay. And then she corrects me. She's like, no, 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 you originally came from the Bay Area. So that's not where you're from. And so in, in 2002, the same day I got a job at Gottschalks and J.C. JCPenney's. And they were both part-time. So I figured, and back then, they had something; it was called a conflict of interest. But I was like, I need to work, so I took both jobs. And um, certain days, they would schedule me at both jobs on the same day. So what I would do is I would just, you know, change the name tag and walk over. It was working really well until one day I'm at Got Shocks and the GM and my direct manager decided to secret shop the competition. So the JC Penney's people they come over to Got Shocks and all of a sudden my manager at Gottschalks is like, hey, come here, come here. here." He said, do you see those two men? I was like, yeah, I do. I I see them. He's like, well, we're going to put on a great, give them the best Gottschalks experience that they've ever had. I was like, how about not, (laughs) you know? (laughs) He's like, no, no, come on, put on that. We need that smile. We need that energy. Just go sell them, you know, Show show them that our employees are the best. And I was like, well, okay, you know, so I go over there and hey guys, how are you doing? And they're like, guy, what are you doing here? You, they were like, you're infiltrating the enemy. This is great. You got a to Like give us their secrets. We're like, yeah, yeah. You know, this place this is terrible. <laughs> you know, we got nothing, you know. And that's when it all kind of came to light that I had the managers from JC Penney's and the manager from GotChuck's. They both kind of Caught me now. Um, at that moment, I thought I just lost both jobs. You know, better to have a burden hand, you know, kind of deal. I thought I lost both. No, it worked out. I got a job raise. I got a, I got a raise, and one of them, they were. It was kind of a bidding war. It was fun, and so that kind of worked out. But oftentimes, there's this conflict of interest, and the conflict of interest starts because of a compromise. You see, we compromise our character when we choose what we want now over what we want most. We compromise our character when we choose what we not want now over what we want most. And that's where we live. We live in this tension between I gotta have it now and credit cards allow me to get it now. And I want instant gratification and I want this now. And I wanna dive into chapter three and read just a few verses if we kind of set the stage for what's going on. Verse number one, the Bible says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter... Shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? No, Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on the best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. He will tell you what you should do. Immediately when you read this verse, it's if you grew up in church, you think this is totally normal. If you didn't go up in church, you're like, what? What's going on here? Like this girl is like like going to this guy. Basically throwing herself at me like, hey, baby, I'm yours. You know, it's just, just throwing herself at it. But if you grew up in the church, you saw a little flannel graph and you thought this is this is a total traditional custom for the woman to go in the middle of the night. And after the guy has, get this, the scripture says he has eaten and drunk, okay? So when the Bible says drinking there, the next verse says when his heart is merry, okay? So this isn't, he had some really good water, Okay, this is not water he's drinking. This is the harvest is over. It's a guy's party, okay? After they finish taking the harvest in, all the men get at the threshing floor and they kind of have a dude's night out, okay? And after this night out, Naomi has this plan. Hey, Ruth, hey, baby girl, I noticed he makes eyes at you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to wash yourself. Get on your best pair of clothes, put some perfume on, and then go lay down next to him at midnight. This is a great plan. Like, nothing bad will happen here. See what we do in the church? We kind of really make this story, oh, really, really Sunday school friendly. It's not. It's not, okay? (laughs) Naomi just came from where? A very wicked culture, okay? A culture that didn't have morals, okay? She didn't leave Bethlehem because she was going to be a missionary to Moab. No, she left Bethlehem for the wrong reason. And there's no indication in all the prior chapters that Naomi has had a change of heart that she's hearing from the Holy Spirit here. She's not. Matter of fact, what does she say in the first couple verses? She says, now I shall seek security for you. And this is where a lot of couples get it wrong. I will seek security. Wait a minute. I thought our hope and security comes from the Lord. What's Naomi doing? I'll get your security for you. And then what does she say? She says, Boaz. What is she doing? She's saying your hope, your future, your security lies in a man. And it does, but it's the man, Jesus Christ, not the man, Boaz. And a lot of couples, there's a lot of people, they affix all their joy, happiness, prosperity on one person. And when that person lets them down, relationship's over. And I see it happen all the time. We set ourselves up because we think our security is if I find this guy, I'll be happy. If I date this girl, I'll be happy. And then when that person doesn't satisfy, when that person can't come through, which nobody can, no one person can make you happy because you don't even make yourself happy. So why do you think some person can do it? No one can do it. That was a great option to say amen. Some of your parents, you have kids, say amen to that because they're thinking exactly what culture is telling them. Let me ask you a question. Is culture helping your marriage and relationships today? Oh, it's not? Then how can we spend so much time with Cosmopolitan? How can we spend so much time with cable television? How can we spend so much time around these friends? How can we spend so much time when they're not helping our relationships? But yet when we get to the church, we're kind of like, "Oh yeah, yeah, let's just be quiet. No, no, no. This is an option where we're like, "Wait a minute, that would have helped me. That'll help me right now, because guess what? Any person you put before God as an order of importance, guess what they become. Not your spouse. There's a stronger word. and I'm going to make you upset right now. They become an idol. And a lot of parents make their children their idol or they make their spouse their idol or they'll make the job the idol. They'll make their car their idol. They'll make something the idol instead of saying, wait a minute, my heart is an idol worshiping factory, so I've got to seek Jesus. And so here in this passage, here's Naomi. She's saying, hey, you know what? I got a way that we can fix your situation. I got a way where you can hook up with this guy. So here's what's going to happen. He's going to be drunk. I know where he's going to be. He's going to be with his buddies. He's going to get drunk. And when he gets drunk, you go lay right next to him. Matter of fact, she even says this. She says, get under his blanket. Whoa, like really, really? Like, I mean, it doesn't take much to get a, dude going all right it just doesn't then you stick a beautiful woman next to him and he's had a little bit to drink i'm telling you what like you may think you're a strong man but guess what it's it's game over at this point it's game over and naomi knows what she's doing she's like i'll find you security it's the flesh it's not the spirit it's i'll work this out i'll figure out how to fix i'll hook you up girl we don't need to trust God. Chapters one and two, what has Ruth been doing? Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Here's the thing. You, and I, I thought to myself, why is Naomi all of a sudden taking an interest in Ruth? Chapters one and two, she took no interest in Ruth. Why all of a sudden she's taking an interest? Because if Boaz is finishing the harvest, what does that mean? Because Ruth has been gleaning in the fields. And if the harvest is over, what does that mean? No more food. So what's Naomi really worried about here? Meal ticket. Some of you you think your friends are really your friends and they're not. Matter of fact, as you go to chapter 4, people do not say, not one mention that Ruth is blessed or Naomi is blessed. They say Ruth is blessed and her and her and, and then they say Naomi, you're not they don't say you're not blessed, but they say, "Hey, your grandchildren are blessed." Nowhere in scripture does God ever say that Naomi was blessed. Not even when things in chapter 4 turn around. We look at Naomi, we think once she has a child, once Ruth marries Boaz, that Naomi has this miraculous turn No. And so we look at this chapter and we think it's so clean, it's so normal. But what actually started was there's a compromise. And here, Ruth almost falls for it. Why? Because now yells louder than later. Now yells louder than later. And some of you now is screaming out for you. You're like, I've got to have sex and I've got to have it now. I'm... 15, I've just got to do it. All my friends are doing it. I've just got to get a husband. I just got to get it now. And now always yells louder than later. Some of you are like, man, my secretary, she's just so hot. I just got to get my mind off of it. I'm just now yells louder than later. Some of us were just so, I got to buy that car. I got to have it now. And now yells louder than later. It always does. Have you ever looked at somebody and you thought, what were you thinking when they did that mistake? What were you thinking? I'll say some things and I'll do some things. And my wife is so sweet. She'll remind me, what were you thinking? And let me tell you, the reality is in most situations, you're not thinking. Let me let you off the hook. You're not. The logic part of your brain is the frontal cortex right up here, the frontal lobe. That's where the logic takes place, right? But as soon as emotion, as soon as passion, as soon as lust kicks in, guess what part of your brain you start using? The middle part. It's the fight or flight reaction. Guess what the Bible, or guess not just on the Bible, but guess what research says. And the research says that that part of the brain is 50 times stronger than the front part of your brain, the logic thinking. So let me ask you this. You put yourself in the wrong situation. You're like, how could, how could she sleep with him? How could he get wasted and get in a car and do that? How could he do They weren't thinking. They were not thinking. They were living in now mode. And there are too many Christians that are living in now mode. I've got to have it now. Wait on God. No, he's taking too long. Never mind the fact that God is pouring out blessings abundantly. You're up. He's given you another day to serve him. It's a beautiful day. It's a wonderful church. We're together. Your needs for the most part are met. God is going to supply. He is going to come through. But yet we still kind of live in this moment. Where we're like, it's just not enough. And if you get to that point where you're like, this is not enough. I don't care what you have. It'll never be enough. The other day I was reminded of this fact. Our church is growing. There's good things happening. And somebody just kind of said to me casually, they were like, So when is enough enough? And I was like, well, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about the fact that there's one more person to reach. He was like, I know, but when is enough enough? And I just stepped back and I was like, you're right. There's a truth to it. Don't get in the laziness, but at the same time, enjoy where you're at. Enjoy the season of your relationship. Remember, said we said there's a difference between a season and a stage? Some of you are in a season in your relationship. It's a season. It's not a stage. A stage will last for a couple of years, but a season will last anywhere from three to 18 months. And so enjoying that, knowing where I'm at and understand that God has a plan, but instead we're rushing. And instead of, of giving in to this impulse, Because we keep thinking, well, God's not going to come through. God's not going to supply. But let me tell you this. There's no situation where God will not supply. There's no situation you get yourself into where God will not supply. God will supply. He will show up. You see, too often we do exactly what Naomi says to do. And we think, I can't wait. But Naomi knew that Boaz is the type of man that if he does sleep with Ruth, he'll make it right. He'll make it right. And so Ruth is playing off of that. But here's the problem. Ruth is counting on shame to do the job. That, oh, you slept with that person. You need to marry that person now. You need to own up and do right, Boaz. Wait a minute. Shame often causes our problems, so it can't be the solution to our problems. Many of us grew up in shame-based churches where they shame you into submission. Oh, you're such a horrible person! I can't believe that you would do that. Hey, stay away from immorality. Stay away from this; this is just terrible. Oh, you're divorced, or you're this, and then, oh, that's just terrible. And you're a terrible person. And all of a sudden, you're just like, man, I'm I'm awful. And they shame you into doing something, but shame is never the solution. Shame doesn't work. It's not it's not the grace that God meant it to be. And so we live in this culture that says, I've got to have it now. But here's what scripture says. In 1 Corinthians 13, seven, it says, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And get this, love endures all things. He said, I'm in a relationship and we just can't keep our hands off of each other. We're not married yet, but we just, we just, we just can't stop. Can I say this? The Bible says that true love endures all things. It endures all things. You can endure. If you love that person, you can endure My wife and I, we've had the conversation. Let me just be real. I try to be an authentic preacher and uh, I just, I'll share stuff. I try not to cross the line. I always look at my wife to make sure I haven't. And if I have, she'll remind me later. So (laughs) it really doesn't matter. I lose either way. But we have had this conversation that said, because we were virgins when we got married. She said, well, what if we just would have? Who would have known? And we talk about this. And you're saying, what a weird conversation. Well, we're weird people. Welcome to our life, okay? And you go to our church. So what does that say about you? You know, it just kind of, we're all weird together. And so we'll have this conversation and I'll step back and I'll say, guess what? Isn't it nice that we get to be on the other side of that conversation? Because today in a Rolling Stone article, they said the only thing about sex is just skin on skin. There's nothing to it. And that's the lie that's out there today. It's just skin on skin. It's just nothing more than kissing. And they think there's, there's, there's no repercussions, but there is, it's, it is more than skin on skin. You see this, this act of intimacy, this act of sex, it fixes and affixes our forms, our connections. It fixes our affections and it forms our connections. That's what this intimacy does. It's the cement that holds your relationship together. But when you're just constantly like, Hey, we can do that whenever we want. Then what's the cement to hold you guys together when the rough times come through, there isn't anything. And so you're, you're jumping the gun because you're living in the now and not thinking about the later. Secondly, we've got to run. We've got to wrap things up. But compromise seems better than conviction. But later, I'll always last longer. Compromise seems better than conviction, but later always lasts longer. It always does. That, that you said, we did things the right way. And some of you, I don't want to heap guilt. I don't want you to feel bad because guess what? The present can become your new past. That's the beauty of the gospel. You say, I messed up and I'm not doing everything that I should. Guess what? Today is a new day. The present can become your past. That's what's awesome. See, the moment that Jesus rose out of the grave, all bets are off, nothing is impossible. You say, my relationship is is bad, my marriage is dead. Nothing is too far gone. The moment that Jesus Christ arose out of that grave, all of a sudden, any marriage can be fixed, any relationship can be fixed, any sin can be covered. That's what the grave and the cross mean for us. And so that's the reality we now live in. And so compromise seems better than conviction, but later always lasts longer. So here's what verse number five says. The Bible says, and she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. That's Ruth speaking to Naomi. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and laid down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. It's interesting that Naomi does almost, or Ruth does almost all that Naomi asked her to do. Except for the very end of that last verse number nine. She said, I'm your maidservant. Cover me under your wing. You say, what is that? What's that? I, I, I don't get that. Is he this is dude like an X-Man? Like he's got a wing or something that he's just like, I'm the original archangel, check that, babe. And just like, boom, there's a wing. No, it wasn't that. It goes back to chapter two, verse number 12. Boaz says the exact same thing to Ruth, except Boaz says, hey, may God take you under his wing. It's a subtle way that Boaz back then, they used these spiritual pickup lines, spiritual ones. You know, you ever see, seen the spiritual pickup lines? There's a bunch of Christian pickup lines, you know, uh, uh, you know where, where you can have a little Bible study together. Uh, hey, hey, baby, you want to read the Bible together? I mean, there's all kinds of Christian pickup lines that you can use. And uh, I, it's kind of in that day, that was kind of one of his Christian pickup lines. And it was him kind of just testing out the waters, like, hey, I got a wing right here. You know, I could be your savior, you know, and all that kind of thing. And so she uses that line back. And all of a sudden, that's that moment when they realize, wait a minute okay she's not here just to force me into a relationship because here's what can happen and i'm gonna spend a little time on this naomi wasn't just trying to put two people in an awkward situation and tempt them to do wrong she was also taking the fact that guess what boaz is gonna have no say in this we're gonna make the decision without him Now, what I'm about to say may sound very chauvinistic and it may sound like, hey, we don't care about the women, but guess what? The Bible says that the husband is the head of the household. What does head mean? It means authority. Now, today we live in a culture that says gender equality. And I get it. I get gender equality and pay and position, except for the fact when the Bible says otherwise. When the Bible says something, I go with the Bible all day long. You can hate me, love me, leave, whatever, that's fine. At the end of the day, you show me what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the man is the head. And right now at this point, Naomi and Ruth are conspiring outside of Boaz' intervention that, hey, we can get him to do what we want him to do. And I see this played out in some homes. In Genesis chapter number three, you'll notice a verse that part of the curse was this, that the woman's desire will be towards her husband is what most translations say. Some translations actually get the word right. You say, what do you mean? It's not that the, and when we read that translation where her desire will be toward her husband, we think that's really good, baby. Yeah, it desires to be too, this, all of this and it's magnificence, right? That's not what the scripture means. It means her desire will be against her husband. All right, married men, just act like you have no clue what I'm about to say. Like, no, babe. Most women have a proclivity to lead their husbands and tell them exactly what to do. Most of them do. Let's just put it out there. Don't, men, don't nod, especially if you want action this week. Do not say anything, okay? Just look forward and have a dump like, this guy, he's so young. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. There was something in his grape juice. I don't know what he had. It wasn't what I had. His wasn't in the sun too long. And... Uh, but there's this desire. You say, why do we know that? Because scripture tells us it's there. It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. That guess what? It's gonna be the desire of the women is to always say, I'm gonna take charge. I can do this better. And most of our wives can do it better. That's where <laughs> submission comes in, okay? So in Ephesians, the apostle Paul brings up something really good. He says, hey, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and give yourselves to them as Christ gave himself to the to the church as he laid down his life for it. And so I used to teach that passage in Ephesians 5, and I would say, wives, you need to be a woman worth dying for, and husbands, you need to be a man worth submitting for. Bless God, amen, let's take an offering. That's what, how I preach it. Except for when you think about the example of Christ, were the Roman soldiers that nailed him to that cross worth submitting to? I submit they weren't. But did Christ submit himself anyway? Yes. Were you and I worth dying for? I submit on our merit. No. Based on the righteousness of God. Yes. Based on his love. Yes. But in and of our own intrinsic value. No. But Christ died anyway. The point of Ephesians five is that guess what? It's not a power struggle. It's not compromise. It's that, guess what, babe? I love you, I'll submit. And it's the wife saying, husbands, I love you, I'll submit. And that's not popular in culture today. In culture, you see this gender uh, mixing up where it's just kind of, hey, who's gonna take priority and who's the smartest or who makes the most? And that's who's fighting for authority. When God says, wait a minute, here's the way I set it up. I set it up and the man takes the headship. And yet in this passage, what are they doing? They're saying, hey, we'll just skip that but then they're missing out on God's blessing. They're missing out on what God has for them because there's a connection between your vision and your victory, what you're focused on. And oftentimes we can't make the right decisions because we're too busy compromising our calling. Some of you are so busy playing the field that you're missing on reaching the world because you're so busy on other things instead of seeing what God has for you. And lastly, we'll end it here. You say, how do I keep from compromising? How do I take my relationship to the next level? Your relationship needs to move from emotion to devotion. That's where it needs to move from. In verse number five, we, in verse number nine, we see it. She said, hey, you're the kinsman. But then something startling happens. And let me read those verses for you. Beginning in verse number 10, the Bible says this. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do to you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now is it true that I am a close relative? However, there's a relative closer than I. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How come Naomi's not mentioning that guy? Like there's no mention that there's a closer relative. Naomi's pretty quick to say, hey, Boaz, Yeah, he's rich, he's famous. He was just on The Bachelor last season. Did you not catch it? It was awesome. He had the rose, but then he decided not to. Like, hey, he's eligible. Come on, Ruth. Why does Naomi forget to mention that one? Here's Boaz. And imagine Ruth. Ruth, for the last several months, has been gleaning in this guy's field. And don't read into that. That just means she was out there getting grain, okay? So he was out there getting grain, and they had built this relationship over the season. And now, at the very last moment, this is the first Ruth is hearing that there's another guy. And all of a sudden, there's like this, here was what was a fairy tale Disney story just come to a screeching halt. Like, oh, man, aren't I glad that I didn't take this relationship further? Because guess what? Then we would have had to deal with that fallout. Sometimes in an effort to deal with things privately that actually should have been dealt with publicly, there's a huge fallout. And if Naomi and Ruth would have conspired and their plan would have went forward, there would have been a lot of shame in this family because you circumvented, you went around God's order. But Boaz reminds her. And then Boaz says, verse number 12, and now it is true that I'm the near kinsman, Howbeit, there's a kinsman nearer than I. Now, tarry you this night, it shall be in the morning that if you will perform unto me the part of the kinsman well, let the kinsman's part be. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to you, then I will do the part of the kinsman. And so here we see, and we're going to close with these three things, and I want you to write them down. Men are called to be the moral leaders. We as men are called to be the moral leaders. Boaz had every opportunity to, 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 to get what he wanted, fulfill an instant, instant desire. But men would be the moral leaders, which today we're not seeing much of. Most churches, it's 70% women, most churches. Most churches, men are not going to church. You could just look at most men when it comes to spiritual things. We're just kind of distanced, we're aloof, we're off. Most men don't lead their home spiritually. We're just not, and we need to get back to it. This passage of scripture is a calling to us as men. And here's the powerful thing. Because Boaz made that stand in 1 Kings seven twenty one, there they're dedicating the temple that David builds or Solomon builds. And in one of the verses, we see this. They're setting up two main pillars that keep everything up. And the Bible says in one of the pillars, they named it Jakin, And then they set up the pillar on the left, and they called the name of that pillar Boaz. Isn't that interesting? Because it means strength. That Boaz was a person that you could lean on, you could trust. Ladies, that's the type of guy you're looking for. That Boaz, that person that's going to be there. Men are called to be moral leaders. Secondly, godliness is possible even in ungodly situations. They were in a bad situation. It really was but you can still do right. You say, oh, my boyfriend and I, we're gonna take a road trip together. Okay, excellent, excellent. Do the I love Lucy thing. You say, what do you mean the I love Lucy thing? There was two beds in I love Lucy. They never, never one, there's two. You say, oh, come on, is, everybody's doing it. Yeah, yeah, culture is not here to help you have a great, lasting, loving relationship. I'm just telling you that right now. Can we all say amen to that? Yeah. Because I think today in the church, we kind of think that culture actually has it right. Come on, everybody's breaking up you don't see relationships in culture working out, okay? And so we in the church need to be strong and saying, guess what? Marriage is, and and this is the way the media portrays marriage. (sighs) Yawn, (laughs) who wants marriage? Come on. I don't wanna get into too much detail, but they say that women are seven times more satisfied intimately when they're married. You'll live longer because you're married. But, Jan, huh, who wants that? Who wants to make their wives seven times more happier? Huh, no, I don't want that. Let's not get married. No, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Today, you've gotten it so mixed up that marriage is the worst thing when God said it's the very best thing that I've created. It is awesome. It's wonderful. And I want it for you. So it's possible to have godliness, even an ungodly situation. And then lastly, choose your coaches carefully. Culture, cosmetology, and cable are not good coaches. Find the right coaches that'll help you. Let's all stand as we close.